You're listening to a Corridor Business Journal podcast. I'm Nate Kading, and this is Real Success. This is the Corridor Business Journal podcast, where we explore the life and careers of the Corridor's most influential business leaders. In this episode, we chat with former Cedar Rapids Mayor and Chamber of Commerce President Lee Clancy. Lee helped Cedar Rapids get through some big notable events, 9-11 and the 2008 flood. In light of COVID-19 and the derecho, I asked Lee about leadership during such epic changes and what it takes to make a difference when it's unclear what might be happening next. Lee shares her insights on leading groups of leaders, how to understand different styles and needs, how to get the most out of big thinkers and detail-oriented people. Lee talks about the volunteer work that taught her a lot about her own leadership potential, embracing the ability to switch careers and try new things, and doing the right thing even if it impacts your career negatively. Lee continues to stay busy with a range of volunteer work and retirement activities. The big question, though, if she could do it all again, would she? Find out in this episode. I learned a lot, and I think you will, too. Stay tuned. This episode of Real Success with Nate Kading is brought to you by Midwest One Bank. Midwest One Bank is the proud partner for doers and entrepreneurs in the corridor and beyond. As an SBA preferred lender, our team is ready to help you reach your business goals. It's empowered money management. It's Midwest One Bank, member FDIC. Well, Lee, thank you so much for taking the time um, to be here with us uh, on Real Success. Reading through your bio and getting to know a little bit more about your background, it's such an amazing kind of rich, varied career path that you went through. It's kind of weaving your way in and out of uh, public service and the private sector and um, as you look back on your career, you retired now, um, your time serving the city of Cedar Rapids in, as a mayor and the head of the, the Chamber of Commerce, but also as a teacher and working in consulting in the private sector. Um, what really stands out as you look back on your career is as some of the highlights, uh, either both either from the public sector or the private sector. Well, thanks, Nate. I, I'm really excited to be here and talk with you this morning. Um, I, I would have to say that my mayoral uh, experience and also the experience as head of the chamber were real the real highlights. I in my wildest dreams when I started out in my professional career, I never could have imagined having the ability to uh, be in those kinds of positions and to use those positions as leverage to do things for a community. It was it was really pretty incredible, and I uh, certainly the highlights of my professional career. As you look back, I mean, you were at the, the head of the chamber during the, the 08 flood and the mayor during, you know, 9-11. So you have some experience with crises as, as we've, we've seen kind of the double whammy of them right now here locally in the corridor, especially up in Cedar Rapids, which was hit the hardest by the derecho storm. What were some of your big takeaways there or, you know, any wisdom you could impart on the leaders in the Cedar Rapids area today on how to manage through crisis? What makes a successful manager or a leader public leader during a crisis like we're seeing now? Boy, I think it's a whole lot of, a whole lot of attributes that kind of come together. Uh, first is not, not panicking. Um, being able to just very deliberately, very uh, carefully uh, take a look at what needs to be done, take a look at the resources that are needed, take a look at the kinds of um, talent that you need to pull together, and, and quickly put those things in place. Um, you, you can rely on the systems that you have in place, but you can't rely on them just 
performing business as usual. Right. And so you have to ramp up the speed at which people are uh, responding, at which your system is responding, and um, and you have to be very creative in terms of how you meet the needs uh, that are that are being presented by this particular event. Um, for I can give you two examples. For example, uh, during 9/11, I I can distinctly remember it was a Tuesday morning. We had informal council that day. I was standing in in the in our bathroom getting ready with doing my hair, and I had the TV on and. Um, I watched the first plane go into the first building, and I thought, boy, that is just the weirdest thing I've ever seen. How could anybody have gotten that off track? Right. But then the, when the second one went through, I went, oh, this is, this is something different. Mm-hmm. This, is, this is an attack. And I put into gear immediately, had my immediate staff start calling business. We didn't know how widespread this was going to be. Right. We had no clue what the targets were, how many communities, cities across the United States might be affected by it. And so we immediately put in place, um, we called the Duane Arnold Energy Center because it's a nu- it was a nuclear site. Mm-hmm. We called um, the biggest employers in town and told them that they might want to consider leaving non-essential workers at. I mean, they want they should consider leaving non-essential workers at home, um, and that they needed to be prepared for who knew what. Right. And so um, that was that was one of the things that we did uh, for that particular event in. Um, 2008 with the flood and that was when I was with the chamber we did two things that really helped uh, small business uh, you know we were we were in charge of the business community mm-hmm. and so um, we we left it up to the city to be in charge of residences but we knew that there were a, thousands of small businesses and large businesses in the downtown area that were affected by the flood and we put in place two things that really helped mitigate the impact of the flood on these businesses. The first was a fund uh, that was uh, we raised money and gave out grants of up to $25,000 to provide bridge financing between what the businesses had in, in hand and when they could get money from FEMA or from any other disaster relief fund. Okay. And uh, they were no interest loans, they were outright grants, and people were so grateful to have that because they could then pay their employees, they could pay their bills, they could, you know, they they had some a cushion. Sure. The second thing was that we had um, an adopt a business program where those businesses that were not impacted by the flood could adopt a business that had been impacted by the flood, and between the two of them, they could decide what they how they wanted to help they could help financially they could help with employees they could help with the technology they could help provide space they could help provide uh furniture it it, it was completely up to those businesses and as a result we were able to help uh more businesses stay in business right beyond the flood than is usually the case with an event of that magnitude. Sure. And as you look at the 08 flood and watching from afar, and now you're obviously retired and as Cedar Rapids tries to um, rebound from the derecho, are, what similarities do you see? And then what, what may, may be different about what's going on today? I mean, obviously we have COVID as the backdrop, but um, I mean, how, how would you compare and contrast 
uh, you know, recovering from 08 to, to 2020, the ratio. Boy, it's, it's really hard to compare them because you're dealing with not one, but two different uh, events of immense magnitude. And not only that, but we had, I think as a city, you, most cities are prepared to deal with events that affect parts of the city, like mm-hmm. a tornado or like the flood. But this this event, this derecho, affected, so widespread, yeah, it's it, yep. it affected every square inch of the city and beyond. And for the city to be able to respond as effectively as possible, it was it was the biggest challenge of of all because all the lines of communication were down, uh, the internet was down. Um, the the you couldn't get through the city with all the trees and the and tree debris and the in the roads it has it has it's a that's a huge huge undertaking and um you know did they did they do it all right probably not right uh but um i think that they did as well as they could with with given the the uh resources that they had at hand and um um we're going to come back from this one the way we came back from that flood. It's just going to take time. Yeah, and uh, time was my next point. I think that's what's unique about the COVID uh, pandemic and the crisis, especially as you look at it from a business owner's perspective, is you know y- you got to fight through the first six months of the shutdown, and then there's the next 12, 18 months of recovery, and when are things going to get back to normal? Um, as you looked at the uh, back on your time, the chamber during the flood, talk a bit about time and, and the different chapters in the recovery and how important it is just to kind of keep persevering through through each of those different chapters because it isn't just a one one time fix and you move on these are these are hard things you'd mentioned before we got on uh on the air here about you know some a certain number of businesses close right away and then there's you know the next 25 percent may shut down within the next year talk a bit about how important it is to kind of have the community rally around these businesses on an ongoing basis well it you have to have a sense of persistence and and commitment to coming back. I remember we went up to um, North Dakota because they had had a similar flood okay. and uh, there was a there was a group of us that went up there to talk to them about how long it took them, what they had to do in, in, in during the recovery period. And um, we were told in pretty no uncertain terms that, that it would take about 10 years. And we all got back in the cars <laughs> and thought, there is no way it's going to take 10 years for us to come back. Wow. It took about ten years, and you know you have to it's have. Hard to process that, yeah. It, it is very hard to process. You you see, you see not enough things happening in the first year, mm-hmm. and then you see quite a bit happening, and then it kind of slows down again. And so when you think about two thousand and eight, and how bad the flood was, and how we are just now. Yeah, finishing, starting to finish up flood protection for the city. That's, you know, that's been 12 years. And so um, it takes much longer than you think to come back. And you just have to have the patience and the optimism and the vision that it's going to happen. Yeah. Changing gears just a little bit. I want to talk, uh, just learn a bit about your leadership style. As you look back on your career, what, what would you say were some of the hallmarks or the key tenets of how you led in your various positions, as not only at the chamber, but as mayor and in the private sector? Um, I'm very much a team player. I, I look at every, every organization, every job, every um, volunteer opportunity that I've had. 
I have looked at it as not just me, but there is a group that can make things happen. And so one of the things, and we were highly criticized for it before we came into office, um, in 1996 when um, there were four of the council members that came on that were new to the council. Okay. And one that was just, had just been there for two years. And when we, before we took office, in between the election and uh, coming, being sworn in, I decided that we were going to do team building. And it was not uh, universally appreciated. <laughs> um, the, the newspaper, uh, criticized us for not having it open. I mm. did not believe that it was important to have it open at that time. We were not discussing policy issues. We were just getting to know each other, figuring out our decision-making styles, figuring out how we were going to problem-solve. And uh, it was important to me for us to to come together as a team, not because we were going to agree on everything, but when we disagreed, we needed to figure out how we were going to do that in a way that was productive. Right, yeah. And so more than anything else, my leadership style is team-oriented. And, um, and I think because of that, um, you know, we have a list of things that we, were, we accomplished over the six years that I was in the, uh, led the city government that is probably a bigger list of things than had ever been done in any six-year period because we were able to work together effectively. Mm-hmm. And like I said, not that we always agreed, but when we disagreed, it was with respect and we and understanding of each other's decision-making styles. That, that was extremely helpful because I, for example, am a very, very quick, intuitive decision-maker. Mm-hmm. I don't require a lot of input. Um, my intuition, I, I depend on my intuition a lot. Sometimes it gets me in trouble, <laughs> but most times it doesn't. And, um, and for example, my husband is a, is a very deliberative, very uh, slow decision maker. He loves to shop around. He wants to You're know. You're the one that's picking where to eat dinner at each night. And yeah, that's, and <laughs> that's he, good you know, for a marriage. You need he, one of one of each. Yeah, he shops, shops, shops. I buy. You know, <laughs> I, I don't like to shop around. I mean, I can tell you a funny story about uh, one year we were looking for a Christmas tree. <laughs> and I, the first, we went to a lot of stores. And the first place I went, I found the one I wanted. But no, he didn't want to buy that one because he wanted to know he was getting the best deal possible. We ended up going to seven different stores <laughs> and f- ended up buying the first one. And I mean, it's just, I have to understand that about him. Yeah. But he also has to understand about me. So uh, as, as mayor, um, I knew that, it was, uh, that one of our council members was that very deliberative, sure. very slow to uh, make decisions, had to have enormous amounts of information. And because of that, we were able to uh, make decisions as a, as a team because we gave him that opportunity to process. Right. And that's great stuff. What informed you? How did you come to that place to be a team oriented leader prior to becoming mayor? Was it something you had learned growing up or was it academic or something prior in the private sector? But what, what, what made you, what were, you know, how, what informed your leadership style? How did you, how did you get to that point? I don't think there's any one single thing. Um, I'm the oldest of four girls and, um, 
my dad was an all-American football player, and all he really wanted was boys. All of us were, all of us were named Steve before we were born. Of course, that never happened. And I think that um, we sort of had to band together and <laughs> show dad that, right. you know, it was cool to have daughters and, you know, that we could do things that were equally as wonderful that boys could. And so that was the beginning of it. But more than anything else, I am a, I'm very much a people person. I like, I enjoy people. I, um, I, I really admire people who have extraordinary ideas that are able to get things done. And I like to surround my pe- myself with people like that. I, I want, I want, I'll say, th- I think another reason that, um, that we were successful is I think it's important to understand your strengths, but also understand your weaknesses right. and to be able to surround yourself with people that fill in those gaps. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, it, it, you know, it, it was very important for me to have a team of people around me that makes us all the strongest that we can be. I know that I can't do everything. I mean, I just don't have the capabilities to do everything. For example, I'm not a, a big detail person. I can do details. I don't like it. Right. Um, I, I like the big picture stuff. I like, you know, putting, coming up with ideas and then having people help me figure out how to put those ideas in place. And there are people all over the place that love getting into the details, that love kind of messing around with all the little stuff that I don't like doing. So for me, that's what a team is all about, filling it out so that you have the strongest attributes that you need in order to accomplish what it is you want to accomplish. We all complement each other. That's great. so what, what was your first career coming out of college? I want to talk a little bit about that first career choice and then what guided the rest of your career choices. Because as we talked about at the beginning, you had you, of this amazing, rich career that kind of wove its way in and out of different industries and different um, public service uh, appointments. What was, it, what was the first career and then what kind of guided all those other career decisions for you? Hmm. Uh, chance. <laughs> uh, anyway. That's um, always part of it, for yeah. sure. Uh, I, I actually studied... Uh, photojournalism when okay. I was in at the University of Kansas and then uh, my husband and I got married before I finished school and we moved up here uh, to Cedar Rapids he's from Kansas City and I'm from the Chicago area and we moved up here uh, after we were married and I finished at the University of Iowa which at the time if I'm remembering correctly their J school had a, either wasn't accredited or it had some issue with okay. with the journalism school and so I switched to my minor, which was English, and added an education component. And my first job out of college was as a high school teacher. Okay. And I taught at Linmar. The, the hardest one first, huh? <laughs> yeah. Linmar High School. I t- taught English and uh, individualized reading and drama and um, mass media, if you can imagine, in 1971. Mass media consisted of photography, 8-millimeter uh, film, Music and movies, and that's about it. Oh, <laughs> oh sounds, and sounds fun. And, and writing, but you know that was more of the journalism right. side of it. And um, just just love teaching. I just loved working with high school students, and um, it was it was great fun. And then we had uh, unexpectedly had twins. Didn't know until they were born, 
And um, the thought at, at that time, at that point, there just wasn't very good childcare availability, okay. nor did I want to have to get all three of us ready to go at seven o'clock in the morning every morning. <laughs> so I was an at-home mom for about 14 years. And um, that was very hard for me. I didn't, uh, I mean, I, I loved my kids. I loved being with them. And I will never regret having the opportunity to uh, be have that flexibility to be with them. But sure. uh, it was kind of my brain felt like it was turning into jelly. Mm-hmm. And so I started doing an enormous amount of volunteer work at that time. Um, would start with, you know, just working on uh, different things. And then I would be asked to serve on a board. And then I would be asked to serve in a, a, a leadership position right. on those boards. And I think that I learned uh, more about my abilities and my leadership styles uh, my um, my interest levels mm-hmm. in in d- doing those volunteer things than I ever did served as a good springboard inside. yeah, yeah. It, with my formal education and um, so <sighs> one of the things that I did as a as a volunteer and I was at the time working at Kirkwood Community College uh, as in their business business and industry training center mm-hmm. working on training uh, things for businesses was I was a volunteer with the Downtown Association. And during that period of time, the Downtown Association, I was in charge of, I I can't remember, I was one of the committee chairs. And uh, they decided that they were going to hire their first full-time executive director. And I I just loved working with the Downtown Association. I thought that was so much fun and so interesting. And so I applied and I, got hired to be the first executive director of the that's downtown awesome. association. Yeah. So that's that's one of the things that I think is so important for uh, young people as they're starting out their careers is, you know, you can do like my husband did and work for the same, he worked for a family company for all of his working years. Mm-hmm. You know, 50 years he worked for the same company. Uh, but for me, I, I love a challenge. I love... Um, uh, I love different things. I love having the uh, opportunity to try new adventures. And so for me, uh, being able to learn so much during my volunteer activities yeah. gave me the the ability to sort of go from one thing to another. Yeah, and see where your fit was and what you liked. Yeah. That's great. As you look back on that, is there an accomplishment as a, as a business leader maybe that you're the most proud of? Any, any one in particular thing? I mean, we talked about helping lead the city through some of the crises. Uh, is there any other uh, great accomplishments that jump out to you? Well, those are certainly important. Um, I would say the, the, the other accomplishment that had a lot of significance, I think, for a rather significant portion of our community, but also was significant not in a positive way for me and that was um in 2000 the the city council was faced with the addition to our civil rights ordinance of a uh, ban on discrimination based on sexual orientation now think about the year 2000 Mm -hmm. this is before a lot of uh, legislation happened 
that protected the right. rights of those um, in the gay community. And um, it was a terribly, terribly contentious uh, ordinance change. We had um, three readings of the ordinance three weeks uh, a week apart for mm-hmm. three weeks, each one of which lasted until the early hours of the morning. Wow. Um, I had gone into the debate really undecided. I, I, I just I didn't know why this was important. Mm-hmm. But as a result of the comments that were made on both sides, sure, it became crystal clear to me that this was necessary, that these protections were absolutely critical to the health and well-being of people in our community. And uh, at the end, I cast the deciding vote to include it. It was a 3-2 vote uh, to include it in our civil rights ordinance. As a result, uh, I think that was sort of the beginning of the end of my political career. And um, so uh, by 2001, I mean, there were other things that, that resulted in my getting fired in public, as they say. <laughs> um, but that, I think that was sort of the beginning of the end, Th- that I was not as a, as a leader. And I think part of, part of the problem was the fact that we had two-year terms, and you couldn't get a lot done in two years yeah. that brought people along easily. As a leader, you really do need to be able to bring people mm-hmm. along so that they all understand the importance of what it is you're trying to do, uh, that they agree with you, the majority of them agree with you, um, and you're not leaving them in the dust. Yeah. And because of these two-year terms, the tendency was to try to get as much done as we could in in those two-year right. segments, and we, we ended up leaving people in the dust. And I... I, I, that is one of my biggest regrets mm-hmm. is that we didn't, we weren't able to allow people the opportunity to come on board. Yeah. And, um, and so it was crushing. Sure. <laughs> it, it was really crushing to lose that election that last time. Um, it made me not want to live here anymore. Mm-hmm. And, um, I kind of, disappeared for several months. I went down and visited and lived with my mom for about six weeks, and then I traveled, and 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 my husband, bless his heart, said, you know, if you want to move, we will move, but you can't make that decision for a year. Right. You can't make that decision in the heat and emotion of the moment. And, you know, bless his heart, he was right. Uh, it wasn't it didn't feel any better after a year, but it was less, uh, uh, less emotional. Yeah. And so we, as a consequence, have stayed. And, and uh, as you know, I became president of the chamber and, and did other things in the community and, and kept volunteering. But um, that, that was hard, yeah. you know. What was it ultimately, as you think back on that decision, you'd, you'd gone away and decided to uh, kind of at a crossroads to stay in Cedar Rapids. What, what was it that kept you? kept you in the area mostly the people mm-hmm. I mean we have dear lovely wonderful friends and uh and I had unimaginable support regardless of, sure. of the outcome of the election and I just felt not only 
um, a, a very strong connection with the community, yeah. an obligation to the people who did vote for me. But also, um, you know, we had we had grown up into adulthood here, and um, our kids had been born and raised here, right. and so it was it was ultimately not that hard a decision to stay. The public services council and mayor, you talked about some of the hardship and um, that you went through, and, and as I look now at people that are serving in public office, how challenging and difficult that is, and in, in today's environment, um, would you do it again? Would you would you run for public office? Was it worth it? In a heartbeat, it yeah. was the best job I ever had. With all the with all the difficulties, it was the hardest job I ever had, but it was also the best job. Like I said, uh, to be able to leverage a title to do things in a community, there's no other job like it. Yeah. Um, would I do it again? I would. Um, I think I'd probably have to find a new husband if I decided <laughs> to do that. He was not. He was not real happy. Yeah. That I did they're, it. They're right along with you there, right through yeah. thick he, and thin. Yeah. And he and he was he was a he was super, but he he couldn't stand it when I was being criticized harshly. Yeah, that's that's hard. Yeah. And you know you do you do have to have somewhat thick skin, I guess, as they say. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, it's not just about thick skin because that is sort of meaningless. Yeah. It's the ability to let things go. Right. It's it's the ability to just not really hear all that negative stuff. Detach from it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And just let it go. If you can't let it go, it really begins to grind on you. And it, it affects your decision-making ability. It affects your how you approach problems and challenges. Right. And, um, and once that starts happening, you need to get another job. <laughs> no doubt about it. How about Cedar Rapids now as you kind of look, look at the city and how it's progressed since your time there? What would you love to see? That, what, what does success look like for the city of Cedar Rapids as you look out, tw you know, look at 2030? What, what do you think uh, Cedar Rapids needs to accomplish or could accomplish to, to make the next decade a, a success for the city? in your opinion. So many great things, there's a lot of momentum. Obviously the derechos and COVID for uh, for any city has sort of you know, presented itself as, as an obstacle, but um, what opportunity lies ahead for, for Cedar Rapids? Well, I think there are a lot of opportunities. <clears throat> I think they have been extraordinarily successful in terms of economic development for a community its size. Um, we have great, great businesses that are constantly evolving and changing and um add, i mean look at look at what's happening with rockwell right now yeah. and and the spin-offs that are occurring absolutely you know when uh in in the late 1990s when i uh, was so committed to finding ways in which to clean up the brownfields that we had down in what's now new bow yeah um we thought once we got that greenfield or brownfield money and were able to clean things up that things would start you know just happening like crazy it took almost 20 years i mean right. it's at least 15. it's a long tail on, it's yeah, a yeah. long long time so you know things happen over a period of time they don't just happen overnight and i um i honestly see that once we get the um the the, the uh, flood control that's huge yeah. done 
sort I've been, of embracing I've, the river again. Yeah, yes, yep. and I've been working very hard on uh, raising money for the Connect CR project, which mm-hmm. is the cleaning up and repurposing of Cedar Lake and the building sure. of an additional pedestrian bridge over the Cedar River. We are uh, we have finished with our public fundraising campaign. We're just trying to get the the last. Um, Two and a half million dollars through grants and Great. and that sort of thing. Those kinds of things are going to create uh, outdoor living spaces mm-hmm. for people. Um, they're going to be a big draw for uh, people coming in. Cyclists co- go all over the country looking for great, safe bicycling options. Right. And we think this is going to be one of the best because it is a continuation of the Great American Discovery Trail, which goes from the Pacific to the Atlantic Ocean and goes right through the middle of downtown Cedar Rapids. That's awesome. It goes, we also, it's a connection from, on the Cedar Valley Nature Trail, which goes from Cedar Falls all the way down to Iowa City. Um, It's going to be a terrific addition to our community. And I also see us as, um, once we get through the immediate uh, after effects of the derecho, We've got to do something about affordable housing. We've got to do something about um, uh, ensuring that uh, people have jobs that are that provide a, a living wage. Um, you know, they're, they're, those are the kinds of things that I would want to work on if I had still been in right. public office. And I, I, we have a great future here. It's a I, th- I think because of global warming, people and 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 because of the derate, or sorry, because of the pandemic, people are looking at safe places to to raise families and to live. And um, Cedar Rapids is, has got a lot to offer in terms of absolutely of the kind of of quality jobs that are available, but also the quality of life. Yeah. Your work on on Cedar Lake and, and that volunteer work kind of was a segue to uh, one of my final questions here, which is, what does success look like for you in retirement? Any uh, what would have been kind of the pillars of, of success for someone after a, a long successful uh, professional career? Now you're finished. What did how are you spending your time, and how do you how do you view uh, you know a successful day in retirement? Well, <laughs> I, I mean. I, I don't know that I'll ever fully, fully retire. I'm still very involved volunteer-wise sure. in, uh, um, in this community and in the community where we spend the winters, which is out in California. All three of our sons live out in uh, on the West Coast. Our grandchildren are there, and so we do spend a lot of time out there. Uh, on, in uh, the California desert area. I'm involved, very involved in that uh, area as I am here. And so for me, retirement is um, about having a little more time to myself to, you know, play golf, play pickleball, play tennis, play, go walking, go hiking, um, ride bikes. Jay and I, for our anniversary this year, gave each other electric bikes, and I oh, found cool. that riding bikes is fun again. <laughs> Yeah, a little zip um, to them, don't they? Yeah, they, oh, bikes? they're just a ball. <laughs> I mean, we took them out to Colorado for a week this summer, and you almost feel like apologizing to people as you're going uphill. <laughs> but anyway, um, I also think it's important to keep my mind busy and to feel as though I am con- still contributing. Mm-hmm. And so I still am very involved as a volunteer. That's awesome. Well, we like to wrap these uh, interviews up each time with um, just some general questions or rapid fire questions as we call them. Um, the first one, how much of your success would you contribute to luck versus hard work? If you were to look back on it. 
through your career? I would say about half and half. Okay. I mean, I just I, I was able to get into some situations because of the hard work that I did, but luck got me into them, actually. That's great. Um, okay, if you had one more year and you say you could go back and you could work full-time in any profession and you could pick pick a one profession to, to spend one year, what would it be? I'd go back to be a mayor. I loved I loved that job. That's awesome. Do you have a business leader that you uh, looked up to during your professional career, either locally or nationally? Not not really one, but many of the, um, w- especially the women who attained positions of influence and power, gave me a lot of hope. Um, I'll tell you that it's a being a woman uh, in business and in elected office. It's, it's very difficult, and uh, you have to work harder and smarter, and you have to um, do more things and, and be better. And uh, right. so, yeah, a lot, there are a lot of women that I looked up to. Um, how about now, today? Is there a favorite podcast or TV show, something that you, that you watch at home? I, I don't have any, anything particularly that I like. I just I, We have a, a whole slew of things that we watch and nothing nothing i like documentaries i like um i like tv shows i i I just you know a lot of different things good good variety pack yeah that's good uh if you had an extra 30 minutes of a day what would you do with it oh wow um huh i'd probably take a long walk by myself (laughs) and as much as i love people i really i really like the the ability to process things sure that's awesome. Um, and then the final question uh, is just in one sentence, how would you define success? Mm, um, I think success is when you are doing something that you love doing and making it meaningful for not just you, but for others as well. That's great. Great wisdom. Thank you so much for taking the time. Appreciate Thank it. you for having me. This yeah. was fun. This episode was produced by Joe Coffey of Coffee Grande Studios. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter at CB Journal.